Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hey everyone, Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. We have quite the show today. We have not one, but two guests, Radha and Mickey Agrawal, twin sisters and serial entrepreneurs. Radha and Mickey are close collaborators on a number of projects, almost too dizzying to count. I think we could have done a few episodes with them. Radha was an advisor to Mickey as Mickey started Wild, a very early mover in the farm-to-table gluten-free movement, in this case, uh, it is a pizza restaurant, which has survived in New York for more than a decade. Meanwhile, Rada launched Super Sprouts, a nutritional education program for young kids, which gained the attention of the White House, particularly Michelle Obama, whose flagship initiative has been healthier eating habits for youngsters. Rada co-founded Daybreaker with past guest Matt Brimer, a global dance and party movement that exists primarily in the morning, though they have branched out in the evenings as well. And she helped co-found Thinks with Mickey, a company which created patented sorry, patent-pending, leak-resistant, stain-resistant, antimicrobial, and not-forget fashionable underwear to empower women in the midst of their periods. Prior to leading Thinks, Mickey wrote a book about entrepreneurship and personal empowerment called Do Cool Shit, which was an Amazon bestseller in the entrepreneurship category. In addition to Wild and Thinks, she also launched Far and Away, the company with my favorite name on the show to date, Tushy, a culturally relevant bidet attachment. The awards are too many to detail. Thinks was named as one of the best new inventions of 2015 by Time Magazine. Mickey and Rada were named to Forbes' uh, top 20 millennials on a mission. Mickey gave the keynote speech at the UN World Youth Summit. Rada was named one of, the, one of eight women changing the world by MTV. And if I go on and on, we won't have a show. That said, before we start the show, I do want to remind you why we're here. Venture for America is a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize American cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. VFA has had some notable successes like Brian Rudolph, a Detroit-based fellow who launched Bonza Pasta, which is now available in many large grocery chains. Brian was a great guest on our show as well if you want to dig back through our catalog. To learn more about Venture for America and to support our work, you can visit VentureForAmerica.org. As I always note, I've been involved with VFA since its inception, and I'm a huge advocate. I wish it had been around when I graduated many years ago. Instead, I launched the Mission Driven Group. You can check out my firm at MissionDrivenGroup.com. And please remember to like our show and subscribe to our show on iTunes. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Scheinwald. And one last thing here, it is tax season. And if you are a small business owner like me, I recommend you check out FreshBooks. It's an easy-to-use cloud accounting software that helps small business, business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. FreshBooks is so easy to use that Forbes magazine called it, quote, incredibly user-friendly. They offer a suite of awesome features, including invoicing and billing, expense tracking, time tracking, estimates, and quotes for your clients, a mobile app for iPhone, iPad, and Android, and a customizable review tool so you can get feedback from your clients, important for every entrepreneur. FreshBooks integrates with many of the apps you already use, like MailChimp, PayPal, and Google Apps. 
With the FreshBooks reporting feature, you can whip up handy reports like profit and loss statements, tax summaries, and expense reports, then share them with your accountant in a click. Showing your accountant some love has never been so easy. FreshBooks is offering Smart People Should Build Things listeners a free 30-day unrestricted trial. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com smart and enter smart in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up to take advantage of this offer. And now, here is our show with Radha and Mickey Agrawal. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Rana Mickey, thanks so much for being here. We're excited to be here. Totally. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, my first question is kind of like a what's in the water question. Um, you know, like you guys have launched, as I said in the intro, Wild Thinks, Tushy, Super Sprouts, Daybreaker, and more. Like, were you guys just immersed in entrepreneurship growing up, or was this just a ta- an innate talent that appeared? Um, I, you know, I, I think uh, the half Japanese, half Indian, Canadian water was was sort of um, was probably tinged with with. Um, with, I think, an interest in community building. I think that's really what it comes down to. And all the things that we do are around around that and breaking I, taboos. I would also say we're pretty unemployable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't true. like to be told what to do. Like, are you my dad? Uh-huh. Yeah, we don't, we can't, you know, we just, we've had one enforcer of rules in the household and we can't take anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I think that, like sometimes people start a venture and they go one way or the other, like, oh, it was so frightening and risky and like I never want to do it again. I want something safe. Or I started something and now I can I can never go back. And, uh, I mean, I think it's in our blood. I mean, our actually our dad and his whole entire family are entrepreneurs. Um, they all have their own small businesses um, in India. Uh, my grandparents owned, owned, our grandparents owned a sari shop in India and <laughs> our uncle owned like a like a fridge company and and real estate company and um, you know our grandfather was also on the Japanese side was also a businessman um, so we so it, it was it's it's, it's, in, yeah. it's definitely in, in the blood, the blood. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I imagine like being I'm curious about the role of being twins because I, I would I would imagine that like you could either encourage each other too much or 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 like and and not be like yeah this is awesome yeah. or maybe you know. Um, you know, maybe check each other too much. Like, what's the nature of being twins? Yeah, I mean, I think from the very beginning, it's always been, um, it's always been sort of everything that we do is like, and F yeah, this is awesome. Like, this is great idea. We love it. Oh my God, let's do it. <laughs> like and biggest you, cheerleaders for each other yeah. or for ideas. And, right. Yeah, yeah, and I think when you have someone who's not saying, no, it's a ba- don't do that, it's dumb. Or, some, you know, when someone's always, no matter what the idea, we've had a lot of bad ideas too. You know, I think that you just keep trying and you have, continue having support and love and from each other, then... You know, then it makes it easy. But you have to go to someone and say, like, okay, we b- we both think this is a good idea, and we tend to cheerlead. So maybe we have to go to someone for like sober second thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. But I, I also think that you know, as as kids, when we you know, like, like when we had our lemonade stands, right? Like it's like no one, you know, you can't really you you know nothing would actually get between us um, to sort of mitigate any of our ideas. It's it's sort of. Yeah, I think it's always been really fun to build stuff together, and you know we were playing with our dolls and our bunk bets since we were you know three years old. So, 
So let's talk about the first the first business that 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 um, that you guys started. Or I, I mean, I'm curious where the, where some of the lines are because you guys are sort of co-founders and creative directors for each other, yeah. and, <laughs> and it's it, it's hard it's hard to figure out where, where one where one ends and the other one begins. But I mean, Wild, which which was actually around the corner. I used to live at, in uh, in the West Village until I got married and became a parent, and uh, and it quickly moved Upper to the Upper West, West Side. Exactly. It was like almost, it's almost mandated by New York law. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> or Park uh, Slope. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> We looked and uh, <laughs> and uh, and so um, you know I, yeah I used to eat it wild because it was around the corner of my house and um, I can't imagine like a more crazy introduction to entrepreneurship than New York real than New York um, uh, re- than New York restaurant life and you were like way ahead of the curve on that one before people were into like gluten free and yeah. and farm to table and it's been eleven years like how, like so I mean I think we have we could have one whole show on wild probably but I mean what is what how have you sustained yourself in such a crazy cutthroat world yeah, that's a Mickey question right <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I think necessity is the mother of invention. I think both of us really believe in that statement. And um, I think the idea for the restaurant was just really born out of a stomach ache and just having like, you know, intolerances to processed food, like hormones, antibiotics, pesticides, um, preservatives, all these things were causing you know, just inflammation and causing stomach aches and just pains. And, um, and, and, you know, at the time we, we just started thinking about, you know, foods that we'd given up and I gave up pizza and I love pizza. It's America's favorite food. It's a $32 billion industry and Americans eat a hundred acres of pizza every single day. And the stats are (laughs) insane. And so to be able to, um, take this beloved food that everyone knows and loves and turn it on its head and use local seasonal ingredients and hormone-free cheeses and local seasonal toppings and gluten-free flours was novel, actually, in 2003, 2004. No one was sure. talking about local war movement or the organic movement or the gluten-free at all. And today, 20% of Americans eat gluten-free. 20% of Americans are lactose intolerant. And so there really is, a, it's not a niche market anymore. It's actually a, quite a substantial market opportunity. No, absolutely. My, my aunt had celiacs and she could like basically not eat uh, when she, they discovered it. And now she can eat whatever she wants. Well, it's just amazing. Back in 2005, we used to have customers come in and they would start crying. And they would say, wow. I haven't eaten pizza in 20 years. Can you take a picture? of me and eating this pizza because back then there were no gluten-free pizza places there was nowhere to get gluten-free pizza and um and so now we've you know we've doubled down we actually launched as a a, the restaurant was called slice back in the day and we you know graduated to wild because we are you know wild (laughs) women now uh not children and um slice is so like cute you know and wild is like yeah you know um and so we um and then while when we rebranded to wild um we decided to double down and just be 100% gluten free so our whole restaurant's gluten free now and it's not including we, the pastas and pastas yep, yeah everything desserts and we have vegan desserts and um, right lots that's, of cool stuff coming up that's next. amazing that like people walked in and cried I can, I can see that um, uh, so Wild opened and closed in Vegas and there are two well, in, we sold it in, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> sold it and then it closed because it's yes it's, okay, yeah. yeah sold it and then they, they Tony moved out of the building Tony Shea the CEO right. of Zappos moved out of the building and then they converted it into something else okay yeah um, so I, I guess you know. Were there? You talked about the. the, the what's sorry? It was a hundred acres a day. Was that what you said? Hundred acres of pizza. Hundred acres. Yeah, yeah, crazy. every single day. So I mean, how many of those, of those acres did do you guys want? I mean, is there is there is there a, is there a blueprint for for peaceful global pizza dominations? <laughs> are we are we happy? At I mean, two? we we have two, and we're opening our first franchise in Park Slope. Okay. Lots of the mommies and the strollers, which is great. Um, in a corner location, and um, we you know it's our we we've been approached by we have had over a hundred franchise inquiries in the last several. 
years and we've just turned them all down they're far away or they so this one's in Park Slope so you know my partner Waleed our partner Waleed who's amazing he um it was so funny and just I'll, I'll kind of a quick anecdotal story when like a few years ago I was actually thinking about selling the restaurants just because seven years in working day in day out back breaking work two o'clock in the morning seven days a week just no life it was painful um, I was like okay maybe I'll maybe we'll sell the restaurants and um, it was as if like you rubbed the genie's lantern and like this genie appeared and his name was Walid and uh, and he rode by one day on his bicycle and he was like hey remember me and I was like yes of course we met through Moby um, he owned the restaurants the restaurant Teeny with Moby in the Lower East Side and okay. owned a bunch of vegan restaurants in New York and he was like hey Walid Wild Walid Walid Wild Wild Walid you know and I was just like I love you and he was just like you know, maybe we should partner and do this together. And, and then that was it. And we're, I was just like, wow. So one option was to sell the restaurant. So the option was to keep them open and bring in an amazing partner who actually is the best restaurant tour in New York, um, who understands consistency, understands how to deliver product, you know, on time, every single time and the same way. And knows that world. Knows that world, alternative world. Yeah. So it was a, it was a really, it was a perfect place to, it was, it was a perfect lesson that we realized that actually you should focus on what you do best and have other people focus on what they do best. Right. He's an operations guy and we're, Dreamers, vi- you know, visionaries, creatives, designers, yeah. um, have the big ideas, and and you know we need a really great execution team. You can see a, a nice smiling picture of the two of you guys on the wild on the wild website yeah. as well. Um, so I, you know, we I guess we have to move along. I really yeah. want to keep asking questions about the wild, but there's just so much. So uh, let's, let's talk about about Super Sprouts. Yeah. Um, and um, like. You know, which is a, a, a TV show and curriculum aimed at ch- getting children to eat their vegetables. I have a two-year-old. That sounds like nice. music to my ears, uh, music to her ears. Um, and Rada, you had some TV experience, but again, like it, I, I sort of analogous to the jumping into like the restaurant world. Like, yeah, like Zero jumping experience. into yeah, producing a TV show. Like, like where do you where do you start with that? Like, do you start with getting a show going, financing, yeah. you know, like, I, yeah, it was one know, of those casting, things. I don't know. So yeah, that's actually one of those things where, you know, we had two different options. One was, let's just, like, write a treatment and go to a network and see if, you know, fingers crossed, they'll like it. Um, this is also in 2009 when nutrition education was still also a buzzword, right? And so um, the, the other option was to raise money and and do it myself. And I was like, you know what? You know, there's these internet, the thing called the internet now, and, you know, everyone can buy their own equipment and camera equipment, the barrier to entry to, to start your own media company is actually not as high as as sort of it was before. And so um, my best friend from college, uh, Zach, he wrote me a, a check um, for $50,000. $50, and together, um, you know, I designed, well, actually, so before that, I designed a menu for the restaurant, actually, for, for, for Slice of the Time, now Wild. And um, with these superhero characters called, called the Super Sprouts, because kids would come in and the order just plain cheese pizza, no green stuff, you know, on their mm-hmm. pizzas. Mm-hmm. And um, and so just as a social experiment, again, a, a little idea. We we're like, you know what? What if what if I created this little menu for the ki- kids menu with these characters called the Super Sprouts? And kids would come in, they'd color in the characters, learn about Brian Broccoli's super strong muscles and Colby Carrot's super sight, because carrots go for your eyes. And let's and, let's and let's, Mickey and Mushroom. Mickey Mushroom, and yeah, Mickey exactly. Mushroom yeah. yeah, who of course nepotist, you know, nepotism. <laughs> Um, you know, is, is super soothing because mushrooms are medicinal, good for your belly. Um, anyway, so all these kids would come in, color in the characters, and run to the counter door to vegetables for their pizzas. And this is aha moment of like, oh my gosh, like Sesame Street teaches about literacy, Captain Planet teaches about the environment, but who teach? Dora the Explorer teaches 
our kids about Spanish language learning, but who's teaching our kids about food? And at the time, nobody, and, and, and even now, nobody is doing it in a way that was really comprehensive. And so eventually I ended up raising you know, several million dollars, almost five million dollars, um, and, and you know, built out my own studio. In and a, a Cornell in, study. You know, and, and, and we ran our own Cornell study. I called up, cold called Cornell, um, Cornell University, my alma mater, but they wouldn't receive or take any of my phone calls. Again, this is about sort of persistence in a way. Um, but we, we, I would call up um, the head of the nutrition lab, um, and I would say, I left maybe four or five messages, sent him a bunch of emails, no response. I found out where he was actually giving a lecture in New York City at the Cornell Club, and I just went there and I ambushed him afterwards and, That's shoved, awesome. and shoved a pair of earbuds in his ear and showed him a video of the Super Sprouts. And I'm like, hey, I want to do a study with you guys. I'm a Cornell alum. What you know? What do you say? He's like, "What is this?" I'm like, "I've been trying to contact you. You've been you haven't responded to me." And so the next day, he got us. We got on a call, and then they became our research partners. So a year later, we had a study proving that the super sprouts and our program got a an increase in 250 percent of kids eating their vegetables because of our of our program. And it's across 7,500 hmm. kids. That's it, amazing. You know, in ten schools. Yeah, it was it was ten New York City public schools in all five New York City boroughs, and so it was a, a really comprehensive cross section. And Cornell was our research partner, so and it was, it was over like twelve weeks. Yeah, so it wasn't sort of, it was a long study, and so again showing that sort of soft skills or soft subjects like nutrition education, like you know storytelling, like superheroes could actually affect right. behavior. And there's such a sort of rift between science and storytelling, right? Between this idea of can stories actually influence you know children behavior can stories actually have a, a you know sort of a, a very measurable um, you know have a me- me- measurable um, change in, in these you know, in these children's eating habits and and the answer was a resounding yes and so from there we, we grew and grew and and you know, Michelle Obama um, right. came and danced in our, our show. I saw the video of that. Yeah, a live show. We had you know Shaquille O'Neal and Russell Simmons and CC. Like all these amazing people came in for free um, to to work with us, to partner with us because they believed in the cause. And I think that's sort of one thing that Mickey and I always talk about is sort of the, the idea of you know everybody wants to get involved. Everybody has something to share and 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 has a passion that they want to to sort of um, be the voice of. And so, you know, while someone's a basketball player by day, they might be an advocate for nutrition by night. If they're a, you know, uh, a, 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 an actor by day, they might be a feminist by night, you know? And so these are all ways in which we've been able to get all these very expensive, very wonderful, wonderfully charismatic and caring celebrities to come and do things for us at no cost because they're purpose-driven companies. Right. I gotta, I gotta remind myself. Like, I want to write an, uh, an a blog piece, an extended piece on all the people who've been on the show who have ambushed someone because it, <laughs> right. it, it, it's high risk. I mean, but, but but what do you have to lose, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and and there's so many stories of success that sometimes you just gotta go out there and, and get it. Yeah. Um. That's that's fantastic. The one thing I was really ca- like caught by, I watched some of the videos. Um, it's really clever stuff. Like it was really well written, and the audition tapes were in particular like really kind of cracked really? me up. Like it, it had like a real, I mean, a real like Muppet like vibe. Like sort yeah. of sort of like an adult speaking to adults, but using kids. Absolutely. How did you like like you know? I, well, I, we the just Muppet, a little bit. Sorry, the Muppet puppeteers actually the, the the person who created some of the Muppet puppeteers actually created the Super Sprouts characters. Well, I mean, I created the Super characters, but they designed, designed the puppets like for them. for me, and so because of that relationship with this puppet. Um, design and build shop, um, they were like, oh, I should introduce you to some of the guys who who puppeteer for Sesame Street and puppeteer for Avenue Q and the right. Muppets. And so I got this sort of wonderful entree into this 
this very interesting, yeah, very niche and fascinating community of puppeteers, and um, all of whom are just beyond talented and honestly athletic. I actually took a seven-week puppeteering class just to see how hard it was, and my arm just killed at the end of the day. Oh. And also, my soul was crushed because I was a, I was an improv puppeteering class, and I just like <laughs> you have to be funny, yeah. you have to be fast in your feet, and and sort of bring this puppet to life with your hand. And so right. it's an art that I feel is very much lost. And one, actually, if you read a lot of studies, kids open up to puppets in ways that they don't open up to, to humans. They're, they're able to sort of share deep and, deep and emotional feelings um, about whether their, their family was not nice to them, whether, you know, child molestation, or just any kind of right. dark stuff. You would right. have a psychologist with a puppet because kids really have that, that innate interest in, in talking to this sort of this playful, this, this playful character. Right. And it's a lost art, frankly, and one that I really hope um, continues to come back. There's a fascinating documentary about the uh, yeah. the, the guy in, that does Big Bird. Yellow, and, and, yeah. and, and, and the, the big, I mean, there's one too, but the one in Big Bird, he talks about how complicated it is, like, move the mouth, talk, move his arms, like, and walk, and all. it's, a, it's yeah. just, it's, it's just, amazing stuff. It's a stuff. whole show. Yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm delaying myself here. Network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. I mean, so it, I mean, it, it was like the production values were amazing, yeah. and um, and you you raised five billion dollars, and Michelle Obama's on board, and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. What? How does it play out? Um, yeah, I think with this one, it's one of those things where. Um, you know, team is everything, and and the stakeholders involved are are sort of, um, you know, are, are you know, you they, just those who invest in your company, those who align, you know, you align yourself with, have to be aligned with the mission. And I think, I you know, for better or for worse, I I took I took um, investment from very traditional investors and. You know, no fault of theirs, right? They just we didn't understand each other and and our methods and my millennial sort of run and gun ambush methods. And I think that for them it was, you know, it was a very unorthodox um, investment for them. And and I think over the years we just it just wore on them and wore on me. And in the end, I had to I basically sold a, sold a brand to them because um, I just could no longer see any growth. Um, you know, and are they still plugging away at it? Like, like is, I don't, is, is, I don't, is it, I don't yeah. know. It was a very, it was a very tumultuous exit, hmm. and um, you know, we continue to have a permanent exhibit at the Children's Museum in Manhattan, the Upper West Side. So oh, check well. it out. I go kid. there. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll take, take yeah. a closer look. We're on, the, okay. we're on the first floor for three and a half years as the main exhibit awesome. for Eat, Sleep, Play, and now we're on the fourth floor as well. Um, we also have a program currently in 100 schools in New York City, and also every single school in Compton, Los Angeles, has adopted our curriculum and our program. We're in 350 schools in Puerto Rico in Spanish as well. So our you know the the education, the the mission, the soul of Super Sprouts continues to live. Um, to what capacity? Who knows? Right. Deadline. Wow. I mean that 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 is that I mean, that's amazing impact. Um, and, and like amid all this, I, you know, it's, it's hard. Again, the sequencing I might be a little bit off, but because you guys have just done so much. But I mean, you wrote a book. Do cool shit. No, that's uh, Mickey. Oh. Mickey wrote the book. <laughs> I'm also seeing double, so it's hard uh, yeah, for me. I'm very okay. proud of the book. Actually, okay. Mickey. Mickey stole. Mickey's. A, you know, it was it was. I'm sorry. Best selling book on okay. Amazon. I'm the number one. Cheer later for the book okay yeah. so Mickey wrote wrote do cool shit um, and um, like you know where, where does that come from and where do you find the time for that to, to write a book um, actually can I, this is Rada I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna jump in Mickey came home every single day for three months 
and like a crazy person just said, I'm gonna write for three hours a day for the next three months. And no matter how, months, what time so. I get in, or four months, no matter what time I get in, I'm gonna come in. If it's if it's 11 p.m. at night, I'm gonna write till two. And she was just, I've, she was an athlete, you know, she was an athlete about it. And um, yeah, and and it was I, I, that was one of those moments where I was like, all right, like Mickey, you got this. this so were really you cool. were you making it up in the back end, or were you just sleeping three hours a night while writing while writing this book? Um, I'm sure some some sleep was missed um, <laughs> it, it, throughout the process, but again. A lot of people take sometimes ten years, five years, whatever years to to write a book, and um, and I knew this book at the time was was timely for the time, <laughs> and if 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 it if it if I spent too long writing it, it wouldn't be relevant. If right. I if it came out in two thousand fourteen instead of two thousand thirteen, then it would be relevant. So. Um, so basically, I, I, when I met with Harper Collins, I basically gave them a bit of an ultimatum. I said, and I was my first time public, first time like authoring anything, and you know, came with a little bit of guns blazing. But they they ate it up, and and I said, look, I, I would I would take this off the table with you if you publish it in the next, you know, by by the the earliest possible, and the earliest possible was August 2013. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I closed the deal on August of 2012. And, and, and um, had to submit the manuscript by December of 2012 um, for it to be published and launched by August of 2013. So that's why, and I think if you set the deadlines for yourself and you set, you know, you, you I think Rod and I are both really good at um, setting, you know, deadlines. deadlines for ourselves that you don't, self-imposed, self-imposed deadlines that don't really exist. <laughs> but if you put that fire in your butt and you, and we're athletes, and so because of that, we, want to hit those deadlines and and if if I had two years to write the book it would take me four months at the end of the second year to write the book right so I had four months to write it I wrote it and so it was like five you know when your back's against the wall and I think Rod and I both of us our backs are against the wall across the board we don't you know we don't have a fallback plan we don't have parents who can fund our lives I mean we could go and like live with them but that would absolutely kill us probably (laughs) Um, I mean no no offense we love our parents more than more than probably yeah um (laughs) And um, and so, you know, we really there was no choice but to keep moving forward. Okay, so so, I'm, but I'm curious about this because 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 shit is kind of a. I mean, my take on it from what I read was like it's sort of an entrepreneurship isn't that scary chase your dream kind of book, and you know we're here at VFA to like encourage <laughs> people to be entrepreneurs, but I, I also can be a little bit of a skeptic at times. Like, are 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 there are some people just are not cut out for entrepreneurship, and like, do you think that? I mean, do you feel like some people aren't cut out for it and, and there are too many people maybe chasing this dream right now? A hundred percent. Actually, I, I love to take this one. Um, so one of my friends, Joe, um, he he was a founder of a company and he realized, and I, I, after a year of slogging away at it and realizing, wait, I'm you know, this isn't exactly for me, but he realized that, you know what, what I am though? I am a number two. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I, I don't want to, let's say, go and work for a big box corporation, but I realize that I want to I want to work with a founder where I'm the number two, sort of putting the glue together and making it actually work. And so maybe I'm not the one who's chasing down the Taking the, dream, the risk, fundraising, the, yeah, fundraising doing all, all things, the scary parts. But I, exactly, all, this, all the hard stuff. But but as a number two, I can look at this, create real structure around this, and, and scale it. And, and I think that sort of, for me, was a little aha moment of like, oh yeah, 
you know, he, I'm the I'm the Jack Rabbit, and Mickey is too, where we both run around and build shit and, and sort of share big dreams and and blow go make stuff, stuff and blow blow stuff up, you know. But I think that we always need sort of this pragmatic grounding, grounding either co-founder energy, you know, co-founder for me and Daybreaker, you know, I, Matt is much, as much a dreamer as as I am, but he's also very pragmatic. You know, he, you met him, he's yeah, co-founder he's of General Assembly. He's he's very buttoned up. He has shit together, and you know, it's a really great yin and yang for us. Or with things like Rudder and I both have young, very young energy, very like passionate, like <laughs> hard charging, and we we both need very much yin energy around us. Yin mm. energy is a calming, you know, chill that energy that that's that can stand up to us, but is a is a grounding calming force. And so with things as well, which we can get into yeah, in the moment, our things. COO, or my or, you know, my COO for 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 things is Shema. Shema. She's like grounding and smart and um and the exact energy that that complements mine let's yeah let's talk about things like three and a half years of research and development went into things Mm -hmm. like what what tell us about that process what happens over three and a half years of research and development how much testing and i don't know make, make it real for us sure yeah i mean you know it's it's kind of a it's kind of a thing where again like you have to have a very healthy level of naivete to go into any business, <laughs> um, and to not know like how long something might take. <laughs> so for example, like we were we spent the first you know year and a half to two years just trying to find the right technologists to give us just fabrics. We're like okay, we we know we need antimicrobial technology, we know we need leakproof technology, we know we need absorbent technology, we know we need um, moisture wicking technology. Okay, now we have to find those technology companies that can potentially put it on a fabric that might work well for the women's lady parts which no one knows ever really done before and so it was a game of telephone and sleuth and figuring out who to call and how to get those people together and then finally we're two years in we get the fabrics we go to a seamstress we have her make the first prototype and then she puts it on and then we throw in the washer and the dryer and then the whole thing buckles because one layer shrinks at a different level than another layer and then we're like oh my god and we have to start over in some ways we still have the, the right fabrics the right technologies but now we have to find new fabrics to apply the technologies to so that took another year and a half so really the whole process was a three and a half year process but I mean like literally we were on Craigslist looking for seamstress do you know what I mean like Mm. we literally typed in seamstress on Craigslist we found one in Coney Island you know our very first seamstress was this wonderful woman in Coney Island and Mickey and I and Antonia we would just take the subway down to Coney Island and meet with this woman to have her test you know like try, try these things on with us and it was just it was just like a very funny and very fun experience, you know, now seeing it sort of where it is today with the manufacturing and, and all the ways that um, things has taken it. It's just um, it's just funny to see sort of the roots of, of kind of, you have a little idea, you go down and figure out how to make it work. You, you go on, on Craigslist to find solutions. You sort of scour the internet to find solutions. and. And it's one foot in front of the other. I mean, that's really it. And you, you uh, interestingly, like you guys crowdfunded a lot of the first part of this. I'm curious whether that was born of necessity or maybe maybe born out of some of the some of the experience with Sprouts, where it's like, hey, we had a bit of a, dis- a different vibe with our investors. Yeah. What was the thought process? Yeah. Like? So we we basically wanted to launch a Kickstarter because we want to prove the concept. And initially, we we couldn't raise money on the concept of period underwear on an idea. People were like, that sounds gross. It sounds weird. I would never <laughs> wear that. Are you kidding me? And so it was just like, no. No, no, trust us. This is like real, and so we, we wanted to put together a Kickstarter campaign to really prove the concept. And so we if said people a, liked it or not. Yeah. You know? So we set a fifty thousand dollar goal, and again, it's not like we put it on a Kickstarter and people will just buy it. We had to literally like like <laughs> full on harass people and say, check out my Kickstarter campaign. Check it out. Can you look at like like? Can you please buy a pair? Can you tell your friends? Can you? 
please buy a pair. Can please tell your friends? And we just did it for 45 days straight of getting people <laughs> on Facebook. We would find all the people yeah. who are like, you, you can clearly tell are online on Facebook. So we would just click on each one of those people and we would just send them. We're like, hey, Jack, you know, how's it going? How's your sister or whatever? And they were like, by the way, can we you? Just pl- we just launched a Kickstarter campaign. Can you please support a Kickstarter campaign? So I always want to say it was funny. I, we laugh about it now, but like I think half our backers were men because they just were like, they just were like, all right, like leave me alone. Like I'll buy a pair, even if I, I'm not even a woman. Yeah. So the first, I think it was really a funny. You know, I remember being on the beach actually. Mickey and I and Antonio were in Tulum, and just the, yeah, we were in Tulum, Mexico, on a vacation. But I mean, but with our laptops on our lap, so like by the beach on Facebook, just like harassing people all day long, and then taking breaks, take a take, take a dip in the water, and then getting back in and being like, okay, like we're back in, like in in sort of like you know full full throttle mode of of just pinging people on Facebook. But Facebook, honestly, is actually a wonderful tool um, to harass people. <laughs> <laughs> to get people um, to buy our stuff. So we basically launched a Kickstarter. We, we surpassed our goal of 50000 We made 65000 on Kickstarter. Then we raised an Indie, we did an Indiegogo campaign right after because Kickstarter doesn't let you talk about mission, about your give back program. Because for, for us, for every pair of Things Underwear Soul that supports women here, we fund a pack of reusable menstrual pads to girls in the developing world. Um, and um, through a partnership with AfriPads, and we want to tell that story of what girls are used, you know, what girls are facing in the developing world. And Kickstarter didn't allow that story to be told. And so we launched Indiegogo thereafter, raised another twenty thousand dollars on Indiegogo. We won a twenty five thousand dollar competition as well, which is yeah, really, was we, a huge success. We won the crowdfunding challenge. We beating out one hundred fifty teams, winning twenty five thousand cash prize. And then we we launched the crappiest website you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life, like the ugliest. I mean, it's funny because there's this website now you can go back and look at what the websites looked mm, like yeah. in the past. And it's just the Hilarious. most horrifying yeah, thing you've yeah. ever seen in your entire life. We're just like, oh my god. Um, well, the one you have now is, is, is yeah, it's really cool. It's very artful. Nice. And um, but again, you start somewhere. And one of the things that you know, my team knows every single day. I say iterations, perfection, iterations, perfection. It's not it's an iterative process. Like you can't put out the best thing right off the bat. You have to put out an MVP and iterate and listen and iterate and listen. That's it. Um, and so, so we, so all together, we raised about one hundred thirty thousand dollars, and we used that money to buy our first three thousand pairs of underwear. Um, and, and then, is that it? Is that, is that all the money you've raised to date? Or have you no, 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 no. no. Then we closed then a, we've yeah. closed an angel round, seed round, and then we closed a series A round okay. with the biggest manufacturers who produce Victoria's Secret, Andrew Lululemon, Lockdown. Nike, Speedo, oh, Spanx. I don't think that's on Crunchbase. I do my research. <laughs> you guys got to put yeah. that up there. Well, we don't, we, you, know, you actually don't, you, most companies don't necessarily share who their manufacturing right. partners are because it is a big secret. Oh, I mean, I mean the funding, but uh, that, that's okay. The, yeah, uh, the, um, it's private. Fair enough. So, God, I want to ask a lot more about about things, but we've got only got a few minutes, and and Rada's got to jet off to Budapest. Well, so, I mean, to, to uh, just to, just to cut, no, no, well, to 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 follow up quickly on things is that we, um, you know, we've grown from five to thirty employees in the last six amazing. months, and we've increased our revenue by twenty three x. And it's all last through it's all year. through your site, right? Like, through all, all through is that all because all you want to control e-commerce. the conversation around your product? We want to own our customer, own our brand, own our storytelling, own the the margin, and so we own everything. And so now, when we go in and build, you know, continue to build the brand and launch new products, new new ideas we have a customer base and we have everything right right away we don't have to give away 70% of our margin to a customers retailer. to a retailer who's who in whose customers that we don't own ourselves and so it's a little bit of longer lead this way but then it, it's a much more lasting you know uh, progression so we've 
um, really seen a lot, of, a lot of progress. And from there, we, we launched Icon, which is our pee-proof underwear, which is underwear for women who have light, light bladder leakage or urinary incontinence. Um, it's a $4 billion category, this the incontinence category. So we're really disrupting that category as well with a pair of underwear that's leak-proof, absorbent, antimicrobial moisture wicking, and that holds 25 milliliters of liquid. Um, and then uh, most recently launched a third third brand because for every for every um, period and P product, the third there needs to be a third P, which is poop. Mm-hmm. Um, we we launched uh, a company called Tushy, which is bringing bidet attachments to right. America. Um, and so that is the last of the three Ps, last frontier of taboos <laughs> of the in, nether regions. In my intro, I mentioned that's the, the fi- my favorite name of all companies that have been on this show <laughs> is Toshi. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so basically, it's a bidet attachment that attaches to your toilet in less than 10 minutes, turns your toilet into a bidet. It takes, again, um, the no plumbing, no electrical required. It's between 57 and $84, so any millennial or anyone can afford it. Again, no plumbing, no electrical, and... Um, it now I, it, I, I really hate going away like going going out of home to do poops now because it's just so much better at home you know? it's gross <laughs> it's disgusting <laughs> that people to, smear poop invent, up their butts invent the portable tushy yeah exactly oh no we are we have a we have a we have a we have a um, we're, we're working on a on a travel bidet as well I keep I keep flipping my head left to look right. at the clock we have we have about Got four it, minutes yes. left so uh, we'll Daybreaker. talk a little bit about Daybreaker um, and um, fortunately we had Matt on the show we talked a little bit about about yeah. Daybreaker as well um, I guess my first question about Daybreaker is kind of a silly question, but I mean, do you think your team at Daybreaker is sitting around thinking themselves like, I don't know, Rada, like she really, she's got a lot of ideas. Like how long can we <laughs> count her to be a Daybreaker? Oh, no, Daybreaker is my full-time sort of like, this is my, I would say my, you know, 80% project right now. Because to me, I realize that my why is belonging. My why is community. And I think that they're, that Daybreaker really combines everything that um, that I think this world wants and needs right now, which is real, true, authentic connection. And so, yeah, so Daybreaker, you know, it started out as an art project, a little side hustle while I was building Super Sprouts, while we were doing things, while we were doing all the other things. And um, and now it's really, you know, Mickey is taking the lead on Thinks and crushing it. I'm super proud of, of what, you know, how she's how she's moved forward with, with Thinks and, and the brand. And and for me, with, with Daybreaker, you know, I think both of us are are really focused on, on really two main areas. One is feminism and the other is, is community. And I think you know um, community is is sort of one of those words that I think we throw around these days but you know 25% of Americans report zero friends to confide in mm. you know that's a really staggering number and and that number even grows to 50% if if you if you count just immediate family so I think daybreaker really the goal of it is is has always been you know, let's create a dope experience that gets people to come back each and every, you know, every every two weeks or every month to check in with themselves. We're not a party. I think, you know, initially people are like, oh my God, it's a great party. They'll check off the bucket list and we woke up in the morning to dance our face off. But that's really not what it's about. Daybreaker is really your monthly check-in where you come back here and you know there's a community that's here for you that lets you to self, lets, that allows you to self-express fully. It's like better, it's like better than Soul Cycle. <laughs> you know, you go to Soul Cycle like once a week and you want to get that like, that hit of positivity <laughs> while you work out. Mm-hmm. This is like a whole next level of that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's a workout meets community, meets experience design, meets theater, meets um, music. It's all the things all in one place. And, and we so serve good. free coffee, tea, and green juice. So for $25, which is cheaper than a soul cycle or a yoga class or anything, you can you can do- the most you, epic experience. You can, ha- you can come and enjoy a two hour experience where you have free coffee, tea, green juice, two hours of epic dancing, and then um, an hour of yoga before every experience. So I, I, when Matt was on the show, I, I mentioned everyone to check out the Instagram because it's it's incredibly colorful and it would make 
you want to go to a Daybreaker event. Yeah. Um, so Daybreaker is like live in, in in nine cities, I think now, including Sao Paulo. Ten. Um, ten. Okay, yep. including Sao Paulo. Like, is there are there universal truths of what makes a good Daybreaker experience? And do you have to do you have to say like, wow, what works in Atlanta won't work in Sao Paulo? Sao Paulo. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the the three things that we always say is is the first is wow experiences, wow moments. So every because you're sober, you kind of have to throw in these these moments where people realize people forget that they're sober so we call them wow moments and wow moments are basically um you know we'll send a, a, a five-piece brass you know brass band in there or a stilt walker or a break dancer or a fire thrower every 15 minutes of the experience like, or, or you know like and so that and... that's a must-have so every experience at daybreaker has to have wow moments um the second is you know it's it's the the music is always deep house soul house funk house it's never sort of dubstep or or uplifting or sort of, all day yeah it's it's not it's not sort of minimal tech house it's not sort of like angry kind of minimalist music it's very warm very musically driven mu- sort of music um, and then you add on real brass and real instruments to it the warmth is just palpable and then also because in the morning you know across the board I've been to every single city we've been in to launch all the new cities and the energy is the same across the board because you wake up in the morning there's so glass, much energy you wake up in the morning your glass is full right you're, you're not tired you're not beaten down from your boss yelling at you or something right you're every Everyone wakes up the same way. You wake up out of bed, you come to Daybreaker, and you're and everyone's there to dance. Everyone's intentional, set, intentionally set their alarm the night before, so everyone's ready to be there, dance, connect, be in costume. So I've never in my life felt a vibration, this kind of energy level, in, at any party that I have at Daybreaker, and it's across the board in every single city. It's this a bummer when I had, miss it. This morning we had Daybreaker in Paris and in and in um, Washington D.C. at the same time happening. Well, I guess six hours apart, but but just in the same in the same day and you know with all that's happened in brussels mm-hmm. um and, and you know paris also you know the, the, the europe just needed this and and it's so funny we got lots of notes on instagram lots of notes on facebook and lots of emails saying wow like paris and europe you know need needed this love bomb thank you so much daybreaker and and the, it's those moments that i get goosebumpy and and it gets me up every single day to keep doing it again and again that's awesome one of the things that i've learned that i'm terrible at with the show is ending it in a, like a in like a you know expeditious way i usually yeah. ramble for the last like 15 will seconds will you be able to provide way, all of the websites to go to and see let's, show let's let's bring it on let's so <laughs> okay so yeah. there's eatdrinkwild.com for the restaurants there's she thinks with an x.com for for the underwear. Um, there's iconundies.com for the incontinence underwear. There's tushy.me for the bidet. Do not go to tushy.com because it is a porn site. <laughs> um, and then docoolshit.org. And actually, you can get all of the information on mickeyagrawal.com. That's awesome. And then there's also, of course, daybreaker.com right, right. and supersprouts.com. And daybreaker has no vowels in it, so it's, it's uh, D-Y-B-R-K-R. The website, well, actually, the website, we bought both domains, oh, okay. so you can just go to daybreakernos.com. Okay. Oh, you got uh, daybreaker.com? Sick. Yeah. <laughs> what what better? What, there's, I don't think there's any better way to end the show than that. It's sick, but I was gonna say you guys did me the favor, and that like there's a hard stop, so I can just say like have fun in Budapest. Yeah, which I mean, oh, yeah. have fun in Budapest. Thank you. Yeah, very have much. the best time. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, totally. thank you for having us. This is fun. Yeah, this was great. And awesome. That's a wrap. Cool. Cheers.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 